to uh, be reminded of that very simple truth. People do need the Lord. Amen. All right. Hey, I'd like to begin today by asking you a question. I'm going to slip my jacket off if you don't mind. It feels kind of warm. I don't want to create a... Is it warm in here? Yeah. <laughs> I know how that works. All right? Some will say, yeah, man. Some will say, no, it's perfect. Okay? And so... If I go over there and touch that dial, some of you are going to be looking at me with daggers. Okay, I can tell that right now. So I'm just asking you to bear with me, okay? Hey, uh, what's the most important job in the world? The most important job in the world. What do you think it is? Now, if we were considering this question only in the context of this present world, uh, we would come up with some very important titles of position and power, I'm sure. But... If we were to consider that question in the light of eternity, our answers would narrow and they would be focused upon those things that are of eternal consequence, wouldn't they? To answer the question, what is the most important job in the world? Well, hence, I believe that the most important job in the world is getting the gospel to the unsaved. I would say the most important job in the world is getting the gospel to the unsaved. Think about this. The eternal destiny... When this life is over, eternity will begin, and what people do with the gospel will determine where they spend eternity. How weighty is that? I submit to you that there is no more important job in all the world than the one Christ himself gave to each of us who know him as our own personal Savior. We often refer to it as the Great Commission. Uh, Do you know where it's found? Help me out here. Where is the Great Commission found? Well, it's several places, but primarily we're most familiar with which one? Yes, thank you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said this to his followers. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now that's what Jesus said. Someone said it this way. We should make his last command our first concern. That's a pretty neat way to say it. His last command should be our first concern. Dr. Bill Commons is a man that we know around here. He's been here through the years. He's a missionary who serves with ABWE, and he travels a lot or has in the past and done missions conferences and kind of encouraged churches in their missions program. And what a blessing he is, personal friend, dear man. He said this. Now, Bill put it this way. He said, we are not in hell Because of God's grace, we're not in heaven because of the Great Commission. Wow. Now think about that. That's a pretty succinct way of putting it in it. William Carey, the great missionary statesman to India, said this, quote, If it be the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to make it known among all men. Did you hear that? William Carey, the great missionary statesman to India, if it be the duty of all men to believe the gospel, the Bible does say God's commanded all men everywhere to repent. If that is the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to make it known among all men. Now, I want you to know right up front, I do not stand before you as one by no means, no means, who is the example of, of sharing the gospel with unsaved people. No. It's an area that I struggle with, have throughout my entire journey. I'm grateful I was raised in a church that very much placed an emphasis upon sharing our faith. As a matter of fact, teenagers, and this is not because this is just what the Lord did in my life, but a couple of us teenagers just got a burden 
to be involved in sharing the gospel. So every Saturday morning we'd meet and go down to the shopping center there near our church and just pass out tracts for like an hour and a half and talk to people in their cars that were waiting on people that had gone in the stores. And we, we had people that make professions of faith, but we called ourselves, how do you like this for a name? We called ourselves Tract Stars. Not Tract Stars, okay? T-R-C-K, but T-R-A-C-T, Tract Stars. But, you know, that was because I, I was raised in a church where this matter of sharing the gospel was, a, it was emphasized. It, was, it wasn't the only thing by no means, but it was, it was emphasized quite a bit. And the Lord put that burden on my heart, even as a teenage boy, that I needed to be involved in reaching folk and trying to get the gospel to them. Uh, I'm going to make a statement now that may sound very strange to you, but I believe that it's an accurate one. I began today by saying sharing the gospel is the most important job in the world. Because people's eternal destinies are decided by what they do with the gospel. But listen to this. Not only is the eternal destiny of every individual determined by what they do with the gospel. Are you ready now? Listen very carefully. So is the life of a church determined by what its members do with the gospel. So is the life of a church. You say, now Tim, what do you mean? I believe it's illustrated quite well by this simple summary someone gave years ago of the three phases of a typical church's life. Are you ready? Three phases that churches often move through. First, when the church is just beginning, it could be said that that church is characterized by the word risk taker. Risk taker. People are not only willing, but they're eager to do whatever they can to reach as many people as they can. It doesn't matter what risks are involved, they feel compelled to bring people, to endeavor to bring people to Jesus. They're, they're characterized as risk takers. But then next, if we're not careful, a church can gradually drift into a second phase that's characterized by this word, caretaker. Members begin to think kind of along these lines. You ready? Listen carefully if you would. They begin to think like this. You know, we, we've got a loving church body. And we care deeply for one another. Let's just do a good job of maintaining what we have. We'll continue to make Bible study a priority and make sure that we're being fed with good Bible teaching and preaching. But, you know, the truth be told, unsaved people are just not interested in church nowadays. Why take the risk of upsetting them by trying to share the gospel with them? And then I think this might be characteristic of that phase also of being caretakers is when they think they look back on those early days and they say things like this. You know, looking back now, we probably just had more zeal than we did knowledge back in those days. We were just foolish. <laughs> oh, that's, that's not healthy. That's not good when we look back on days when we were willing to take risks for the gospel and think of them in that light. But that's the, that's the phase of a church called being a caretaker, just maintaining what we have, trying to do that. And then the third phase is, is there's a word that used, that's used to describe it that needs no additional comment. And that's, well, first of all, risk taker, caretaker, and then undertaker. And brothers and sisters in Christ today, if you know the Lord is your Savior and you're present today, may God keep us from ever moving into the phase of just being caretakers at Friendship Baptist Church. May God, may God continually pursue us with the burden and the passion and the desire, the will to be people who get the gospel to people. If we don't, we will die. Do you, did you know this? 
Did you know that in the book of Revelation, John said to one of the first New Testament churches, the church at Sardis, he said this, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. You have the name that you are alive, but you are dead. So may God help us to never go down that path. You know, I, by, by his help, and I know you would say the same. I believe if you're here as a child of God, you would agree with me. I want as a follower of Christ, and I want our church to be characterized by the word risk taker. I don't want as an individual believer and as a church to be known as, as people who are just taking care of things, maintaining things. A risk taker for the sake of the gospel. All right. Now, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, please, if you would, and look at the first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Let's go there for a moment. And we're thinking about the title of my message, The Most Important Job in the World. The Most Important Job in the World, I do believe, it is getting the gospel to the unsaved. You know, there are several areas in my Christian life that I can never hear too much preaching on. I can never hear too much teaching and preaching on how to be a good husband. Can't have too much of it. Because that's an area I just always need help in. How to be a good daddy. Never can hear too many, too many messages on that. Never can hear too many messages on getting the gospel done save people. Because it's an area that's just continually so easy to let slip. And become, an occupied, be, and become occupied with so many other things. But as we read together, follow along if you would. Acts chapter 1, a passage that's very familiar to you. Uh, let's just jump in at verse 1. The former treatise, Dr. Luke says, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach? Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen to them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith thee, ye have heard of me. Now what was that promise of the Father? Pause for just a moment. Well, we won't take the time, but if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, which Luke obviously penned also, as well as the book of Acts here. Jesus made this statement to his disciples. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That was the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father was, I am going to give you a power, a person that's going to endue you with power. So that's what Jesus is referring to here. Now, verse 5, Jesus continues now in this setting of Acts chapter 1. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now we know, if you've, if you've been saved for any, any length of time at all, pause again for just a second, that the disciples were just fixated on this thing of the kingdom. Uh, uh, but they were thinking about it always in a political setting. Weren't they right? Yeah. They always, could, can I have one of your top seats there? Could I be one of your lead guys? Okay. You know, I mean, the audacity of those guys to talk about how important they felt like they were. And to ask Jesus those types of questions. But they're, all, they're fascinated with this thing of the kingdom, but in that political sense. And we understand that, of course, Jesus was speaking of a spiritual kingdom. And it's kind of neat. I did not realize this. But once he addresses this matter of the kingdom one more time right here in this passage, we never see the disciples again raising the issue of, hey, when's that political kingdom coming? Can I have a part in it? Where can I have a place? It doesn't come up again. They grab... The Holy Spirit enables them to grab the significance of what Jesus is saying, I believe, right here. So, he said, they ask him, 
Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And here's our main verse. But, he says to his followers, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come, as John said in the book of Revelation. Amen. What a neat passage here. What a significant passage. And as I said a moment ago, somebody said that the Lord's last command should be our first concern. Now, think with me about three things primarily today when it comes to the greatest job in the world. First of all, I would describe this job of getting the gospel to the unsaved as a supernatural task. Think with me for just a moment. It's a supernatural task. It's supernatural. I mean it in this sense. Because of how extensive it is. Well, how extensive is the, how, how extensive is the Great Commission? How far does it go? How many people does it include? And that's the reason why I say it's a supernatural task. Verse 8 again says this. Followers of mine, you start right there where you're at in Jerusalem. Look at the verse again. Then you move out into all Judea and Samaria. And then you go out even further under the uttermost parts of the earth. You definitely come away, don't you, after reading that verse, with the understanding that Jesus expected his disciples to share his story with everyone everywhere. Oh, the vastness of the commission, the, how extensive it is, the greatest job in the world, because it's, it's to be given to every person. Every single person on the face of the earth is supposed to have a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Concerning verse 8, I like this. Think with me just geographically here for a moment. If you can put the, the map of the uh, Bible lands there in your mind for just a moment, just the vague maybe representation of it, the Jordan River and Jerusalem, Judea to the south, Samaria to the north, okay? And let's listen to what Jesus had to say. Here's how someone put it. When Jesus said, take the gospel to Jerusalem, he was saying, you've got to get the gospel to those that are difficult. You say, what do you mean difficult? Hey, I believe you'd agree with me, and I don't know why. I don't know all the reasons why. But it, it can really be a challenge to witness to your own family members. It's easier to go across town and knock on the door of a stranger than it is to sit down with a loved one. I've been there. I know. Yep, it is. How, why is it so hard to go to a neighbor's house that we've lived beside for 3, 4, 5, 10, 15 years? Why is it so hard to go over and bring up the gospel and talk to them about Jesus Christ? I, I, don't, know, I don't know all the reasons why. But that's the reason why someone said Jerusalem represents the difficult ones. And it is difficult. But then Jesus went on and when he said Samaria, he was talking about, listen carefully, the despised ones. Now, how, how did the Jews feel about the Samaritans? Real cozy relationship? Real welcoming? Friendly? No. They despised them. They despised them. And do you know, we found this living overseas Every culture has at least one group of people, if not more, that they just despise. 
we, we saw it in Slovakia, just shockingly so. And I, I just was not prepared. I knew we had it in the United States, but there in Slovakia, there were a group of people that the Slovaks, just as national people, just looked down upon in a major way. So Jesus was saying, not only do I want you to take the gospel to the difficult ones, those closest to you, but I want you to reach out to those that you consider to be despised. Those that maybe you, by nature, for whatever reason, you look down on, and you kind of have a little judgmental attitude. He says, got to get the gospel. They need the gospel. I love them. I love them. And then he said, the uttermost parts of the earth. And someone said this. That represents the denied ones. And guys, it's hard for us to even comprehend this. But there are people today, and not just around the world, right here in Huntsville, who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? There are people who, who have never, they have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this matter of the job being so extensive, listen to these parallel passages, if you would. Don't turn to them, but in Mark's account of Christ's commission, in chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said this. You're going to recognize this. You can finish it out for me, I'm sure. Go ye, on, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every, every, The individual that works the checkout at Walmart? The man that comes to my house to serve us something that's broken, that needs to be repaired? Uh, that neighbor, that co-worker, that schoolmate? Yeah, he said, go ye and all the way. And the gospel is to go to every creature. It's that extensive. In Matthew 28, 19 that we read a moment ago, what did Jesus say? Go ye therefore and teach how many nations? All nations. I like what Oswald Chambers said about this job that we've been given. And by the way, if you've never read my most for his highest, it's not the easiest reading in the world, <laughs> okay? But I tell you what, it sure is rich. It's got meat almost on every page. And by the way, you can get an updated version now where he doesn't use so much of the old English, all right? And it's, it's really good. It's a lot easier to read. But Oswald Chambers just had a phenomenal insight into the Christian life and uh, the, the meat of the Christian life, so to speak. But listen to what he said. Here's, here's a quote from Oswald Chambers. Here we go. When the, Spirit, when the Spirit of God has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts, we begin deliberately to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ's interest in other people. And Jesus Christ is interested in every kind of man there is. Did you hear that? When we allow the Holy Spirit to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts, we begin to identify deliberately ourselves with Jesus' interest in other people. And He's interested in every kind of person there is. I was sharing with a brother here in the church just recently. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed... I don't know why I am, but I'm having, I'm, having, I'm having just a personal struggle in my journey with someone that God's brought into my life, loving them the way I should. And I, I'm, I'm embarrassed that, that the struggle is even there. And it's kind of a new thing, a, new, a new, fairly new relationship, so to speak. And I'm just, I'm just finding myself letting my flesh control me and, and rather than loving them with the love of Christ and thinking, Lord, what do you want to do in these people's life, in this person's life? I find myself standing back and kind of being aloof and saying, no, I don't really want to get involved in this kind of a situation. And how that must grieve the heart of God because he did, when he shed, he did shed abroad his love in my heart. And how many people does God love? How many? All. All people. So the job is supernatural because of how extensive it is. Somebody, I like this. You've heard this before. They put it this way. The gospel came to me on its way to somebody else. (laughs) 
How about that? The gospel came to me on its way to somebody else. The task is a supernatural one. But secondly, in this same verse, verse 8 of chapter 1, I want to encourage you with this truth. All right, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you with this. We've been given a supernatural message with which to accomplish the task. Now, hang with me here. We have been given a supernatural message with which to accomplish the task. And what is that message? Well, what did Jesus tell them the message is? In verse 8, what did he say? Ye should be witnesses of the Friendship Baptist Church. You tell as many people as you can about Friendship Baptist Church. No, that's not what he said. No, what did he say? Me. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Jesus said that. His story, Jesus' story, the gospel, is the message, the supernatural message that we have that we can take and share with other people. By the way, let me ask you this. Could you answer this question? What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, some of you are right here with me. You're already there. 1 Corinthians 15, don't turn to it. Here's what Paul said. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Here we go. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. It's Jesus' story. He died for our sins on that cross. He was buried, but He rose again. That's the gospel. That's the story. And folks, it is a supernatural message. It's a supernatural message. Concerning the power of the gospel, Paul said in Romans 1.16, you know this verse, don't you? What did he say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I've said this before. Hey, guys, there have been other books printed with the same kind of ink that this book was printed with. And there have been other books printed on the same kind of paper that this book was printed on. But there is no other book in the world that has the power that this book has. It is the supernatural message of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. And listen, I'm glad. I hope it's encouraging to you. We are not sent forth on this task, this supernatural task, in our own strength and with our own ideas about how to do this. No, Jesus said, just tell people about me. Just tell them about what I've done for them. My death for their sins, my burial, my resurrection. And I love that. It is the power of God unto salvation. We don't get saved by joining a church. We don't get saved by being baptized. We don't get saved by changing our lifestyle. We get saved by meeting a person and inviting that living person into our lives. Who is that person? Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Do you know him? Not are you a member of a church. Not how long have you been going to church. Not if your family were believers. No. Okay. I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Listen, he is the power of God and salvation. He changes people's lives. As a matter of fact, we won't take the time, but it's pretty neat here in the book of Acts. There are a group of, there are a group of uh, I guess I would call them sorcerers, just people involved in all kinds of dark things. And guess what? You know what happened? When they got saved, the Bible says they brought all the books that they used to use. They piled them up in a big pile and set them on fire. <laughs> what in the world would cause somebody to do something that radical? Jesus. Jesus Christ. 
Hey, hey, do you know any people in your life that you've just been amazed at the change that Jesus has brought? You know any people like that? I do. I'm grateful that I do. They're in the Word of God. How about old Matthew? Man, he didn't just get saved. He really got saved. <laughs> right? What did he do? Man, Lord, since you're in my life now, I'm going to go back and make everything right with all the people I've cheated four times over. I'm no longer going to be a taker. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to make things right. What in the world makes that kind of a change in a person? It is the story of Jesus Christ. It is the person, Jesus Christ. He is the power of God and the salvation. So, folks, yes, we have been given an unbelievable, so to speak, task, a very extensive supernatural task to get the gospel to everyone. But we have been given a message a supernatural message with which to accomplish it. We just need to get people to know Jesus. We just need to tell them about Jesus. And that can take so many different forms. It can be a gospel track. Every Saturday, the first Saturday of every month, we give out at least 150 tracks, more than that probably, to the people that come through our line. Some of them have been through multiple times. They're still getting maybe the same tracks sometimes. We try to use different ones. But you know, the important thing is this. They have, when they get home, an opportunity to read about Jesus Christ and what He did for them. And that he can save them, that he can change them. So it can be a gospel track. It can be a verbal witness where you sit down and share your testimony with someone about what Jesus means to you and what he's done for you. But the point is this. We have been given the, the message with which to share, or that we can share with other people and with which to accomplish the task. Now, here's the bottom line, brothers and sisters. He just needs obedient followers who will share it. Jesus just needs obedient followers who will share it. And then here's the last thought that I want to share with you from this verse today. There's a second encouraging truth about this most important job in the world. Not only have we been given a supernatural message with which we can accomplish the task, we have been given a supernatural enabling, a supernatural power through which we can accomplish the task. And you, you know it already. There it is in verse 8. What did he say? But ye shall receive power. Hey, he's talking to people, just common people, followers of Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you the power to be what I'm commanding you to be. And by the way, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., I think he was the one that said, behind all of God's commands is omnipotence. God never commands us to do something but what he will not give us the power to do it. And here he says, I have given you the person of the Holy Spirit. To these, he said, you will receive power after that he has come upon you. Now, it's interesting. As you read through the book of Acts, <coughs> you'll find at least eight different passages where when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, you find believers who are being bold in their witness. And as a matter of fact, if you'll look at your Bible... Would you do that for just a second? If you, have a, if you have a copy there in front of you, look at the opening page of the book of Acts for just a second. And what's the title given to it? What, what, what does yours say? It, it might not all be the same, but what does it say? The Acts of the Apostles. Warren Rigsby said, uh, that really ought to be, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. <laughs> I like that. Because that's exactly what you find in the book of Acts. You find the person of the Holy Spirit making a difference in that society, in that world, through believers. That's what we find in the book of Acts. 
So it's really the acts of the Holy Spirit through local churches. Amen. And that means through you and through you and me. You know, I'm gonna be honest with you here. I think we're all here. It's not a matter of whether or not we can be witnesses. It's a matter of whether or not we will be. I've told you several times years ago, a good, dear brother made the comment to me. He said, I, I will never be able to sit down and share the gospel with someone. I never could. I'll never be able to. I never can do that. I'll never be able to do that. Well, that's not biblical. <laughs> because Jesus said, I'm going to give you a person. He's going to indwell you. And he will give you the power to do things you cannot do on your own. You say, Tim, you just don't know how nervous I am. You, you just don't know how, how I just feel so inadequate. I, 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 just, I just cannot do it. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit, rather, through you can. You know, there's times where, I've got to be honest with you, uh, <laughs> where the Lord will nudge my heart about giving a tract to someone. And I've already walked out of the place of business. And it's kind of like, oh, no, I don't want to go back in there. I don't want to go back and give them a track and tell them about this is, you know, tell them about the Lord or whatever. Just leave the track in their hands. And man, the Holy Spirit will say, Tim, come on. You sing about the gospel. You talk to people about giving the gospel. Are you going to be obedient to me right now or are you going to disobey me? I'm sorry to say there are times where I do. I, I walk away and I'm, I've been disobedient. But I do know this and I give the Lord all the glory. He has, the Holy Spirit has enabled me to share the gospel with some people that I never could have in my own strength and my own flesh. I'm, I'm serious. I'm scared to death. Uh, one instance years ago in Gadsden, literally I was scared because of physical threats, okay, that were being made by an individual. And, and, and I just I struggled and struggled and struggled with being what Christ would have me to be to that individual. But then sometimes I, I'll tell you that it's not a fear of physical threat. It's just intimidation. It, it's the fear of what somebody might say about me, what they'll, what they'll think about me. And uh, I, I told you years ago how that there's a, there's a businessman here in Huntsville. And years ago, I got to know him a little bit. Not real well, but I got to know him pretty good. And uh, the Lord put him on my heart. And I thought to myself, just like you would, I thought, oh, no, man, Lord, you know, you're not, you don't want me to go by his office. I mean, this is a wealthy businessman in Huntsville, Alabama. You know, you, you don't want me surely to go by and sit down and ask him about his relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> man, the Lord would not let me get away from me. He said, yes, I do. I didn't even want to call his office. And I remember making the phone call that finally I said, okay, Lord, you've got to help me. Lord, you do this through me. By the way, that's the point that I want to mention. Is when I will, honestly, when I will be willing to stop, when I'm willing to stop and say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I don't want to do this. I don't feel that I can. I'm scared. But Holy Spirit, would you do this through me? When I call upon the Lord through the Holy Spirit to do it through me, it can make all the difference in the world. And so I called his office and said, hey, uh, this is Tim Coley. Yep, I know you. Okay, who you are. I said, hey, I, I'd like to come by and talk to you for a few minutes. He said, well, about what? I wish he hadn't asked me that on the phone. You know, I wouldn't have a chance to do it in person, face eyeball to eyeball. He said, well, what, do you, what, what would you want to come by and talk to me about, Tim? I said, well, I know a little bit about your business. I'd like to tell you about my business. 
And he said, well, what is your business? I said, well, my business is trying to help people know they're ready for heaven, to come to know Christ as their Savior. Man, he said, okay, Thursday, 2 o'clock, come by my office. i got to tell you something, and all, and all the glory goes to the Lord for this. I had so struggled making that phone call. I was so nervous. I was so intimidated by how wealthy he was, how important he is in this city. And I, I just had all these reasons why I couldn't do it. But the Lord gave me the grace. I trusted him for the strength, and I walked into his office. I had to wait outside of his office for a little while. But i got to tell you this, and I'll never forget this. While I was sitting outside his office waiting to be called in to have this conversation with him, I felt like I was waiting to walk in to talk to Rick Johnson. I'm serious. I was that calm. I mean, it was, there was no nervousness. There was no fear. It was just like a calmness came over me. I know what happened. The Holy Spirit gave me the power he said he would give, that Jesus promised that he would give. And so that dear man let me come into his office. He actually escorted me down the hallway to a conference room. And for about maybe 30, 40 minutes, he shared with me and talked to me about his own personal spiritual journey. Come to find out he's got a friend in another state that's also been talking to him about Christ. And I feel like now the Lord's kind of putting in my heart to go back and follow up with him and see after all these years if he's made a decision yet. So by the grace of God, I'm going to do that. But folks, the reason I'm telling you the story is this. I have, I have failed so many times to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But I can say this. Again, I can say this. The Holy Spirit of God can give us the power to do that which we could not do on our own. Is that the truth or not? It is the truth. So the question again is not can we share the gospel. The question really is will we? Will we? Will we be obedient to the job that God, that, excuse me, that Christ has given to us? I want to give you just a couple more quotes and we'll wrap it up. Again, Oswald Chambers, how neat is this? Oswald Chambers said this. Listen, complete weakness and dependence will always be the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest His power. Ooh, did you hear that? We don't want to be weak. We don't want to step out of our comfort zone where we feel vulnerable. Right? No, we don't. But Oswald Chambers said it exactly true. Complete weakness and dependence will always be the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest His power. It's when we're weak and we, and we cry out like we sang a moment ago. Lord, I need you. I need you right now to do this through me. And then, I like what Warren Wiersbe said. You can take this with you now. Let this be an encouragement to you, okay? Don't forget this quote. It's amazing the mighty things God can do when a man is weak enough. It's amazing the mighty things that God can do when a man is weak enough. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not a matter of can we. It's a matter of will we. He has promised the power. I love 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then he goes on and says, who have also made us able ministers of the New Testament. So he's saying, our sufficient, my sufficiency is in God, and I have experienced him making me sufficient for what he's called me to do. How about you? I love that. How about Philippians 4.13? We all know this verse. Think with me for just a moment. I can do all things through what? Who? Through Christ which strengthens me. Now, real quickly, don't think this. Don't think that that verse is saying there's an external power that's available to me because Christ has made it available in himself. 
If I will, if I can bring that power into my life, I will be able to do all things through Christ. No, 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 no. That's not right. Guess what? You know this already. That power, that person's already inside of me. I don't have to bring him inside. He's there. I have to be willing by faith to claim, Christ, I cannot do this. Will you do this through me? Will you live your life through me? Will you love these people through me? Will you give the gospel through me? And he will. And then 2 Corinthians 12, 9, a different context, but this truth is here. And Paul said, the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, my strength, whoa, 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 you ready? My strength is made perfect when? In weakness. We don't want weakness. We don't want to step out of our comfort zone. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. And guess what? We never know the power of Christ because he only shows up in weakness, in our weakness. Years ago, uh, I was sitting in a, a medical facility in Matamoros, Mexico. Kip and I were there before we went to the mission field. And this doctor had been recommended. He was, he was an American doctor, but he practiced across the border because some of the things he did were not approved. And, but Kip was struggling with something that was very, very difficult. And we were getting ready to move 6,000 miles away. We wanted to see if somebody could help us before we made the move so she wouldn't have to deal with it over there. And she'd gone to doctors in Augusta, Georgia, different places, and they all just basically said, hey, you're just going to have to live with this, okay? It's just, that's just the reality. You're just going to have to live with this. Well, we heard about this doctor, and we would have never gone, to be honest with you. We'd have, we would have thought the very thing that some of you are thinking right now. Where'd you go? Who did you see? Some wacko doctor down there, okay? No. I mean, I, I'm serious. If, if I hadn't had two missionary families that my father-in-law knew, who had been to see him, and a retired missionary's wife served as his secretary that we knew and respected very highly. And they said, this guy's the real deal. He's helped a lot of people. You ought to come down here. We went down. Hey, by the way, is Becky in here? Okay. That's the same doctor that treated Gary Adams so many years ago. You remember? The doctors here in Huntsville told Gary Adams. Now, Kippy didn't have cancer, but Gary did. And the doctors, if you remember the story, the doctors told Gary, all right, you have what, at the best, a 50% chance of living. We're going to give you a treatment that we've never used before. It's so strong, you may not make it through the treatment, but you have to have it. That Sunday afternoon, we just happened to meet up in a restaurant. We didn't know Gary and Becky that well. This is way back when we first came. And Kip and I stood there and deliberated about whether or not we ought to even talk to Gary because everybody's not into that kind of thing. I realize that, and that's fine. We respect that. But we decided, yeah, we need to. Man, we told Gary and Becky about it. They were on the phone, on the Internet, and I, I think Tuesday of that week, they were on the way to Madame Morris. They say, well, what happened? Well, that dear doctor, God used him to give Gary how many more? 10, 12 years of life? Matter of fact, the laboratory that's on the United States side, it's no longer there. And I'm sorry that the doctor's no longer in practice, okay? But the laboratory in, a, in the U.S. told us when we went for Kip's blood work, they said, we don't know what that doctor's doing down there. We have no connection with him. But we know this, we've done blood work for people that ought to be dead, and they leave there in great health. He has cured them of cancer, and he did. God used that man to cure many people of cancer. Now, just to give you that background, here we go. We're sitting there in the lobby, and everybody's getting these IV treatments, and there's a dear man sitting there, an older man, and his wife has cancer, and she's not doing very well. And he lived about a half hour away in the valley, in the Rio Grande Valley there, just, just a half hour away from this clinic. 
in the, on the Texas side. And he made this statement. He said, I cannot believe I have lived 30 minutes away from this place and I never have heard a single thing about it. How can it be that I would live this close to someone like this and not know? And then he said this. He said, if this doctor can help my wife, he said, I'm going to take out a full page ad in the Valley newspaper and I'm going to tell as many people as I can about this doctor. And guys, I've got to tell you, when he said that, it was just like the Holy Spirit just smote me. And he said, Tim, you know someone that can change people's lives and give them a home in heaven. But you're not telling them. How many people would say about you, I live close to Tim. I knew Tim. But he never shared. He never told me about this person that's changed his life. Brother and sister in Christ, let's get busy. Let's be known as risk takers for the gospel. Let's do that by the grace of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Let's join hands. Now, before you go, Andy, if you would, please, if you would, with some other men, pass out these cards. How many of you still have your card from last week? Would you hold it up? If you have your card that says, I will be one, I will invite one. If you have it with you, and you may not, that's okay. I don't have mine right here with me in my Bible. Okay, I see one there. Okay, two. If you have yours, just hold it up. If you don't, let these guys give you another card. Okay, just real quickly. And they're passing them out. This is about next Sunday. And uh, man, Bruce has been asked to share a very evangelistic message to share his story about how he came to know Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's, let's all purpose to invite some, at least one unsaved person to come. Let's do that. Let's be one. Let's invite one. Amen? Let's make a difference for the sake of the gospel. Amen. So I hope everyone gets one. If you would, jot down the name. Let's be praying for these people, and let's invite them this week. Guys, got man church too. That's a great opportunity to invite guys to come on Saturday night. Let's stand together, please, if you would. All right? Everyone stand together. Lord, thank you for this time together. And I, uh, I, I want to be, Lord, what you would have me to be. Man, Lord, just in my personal life, in my personal ministry, in this matter of being occupied with the most important job in the world. And, um, Lord, please, oh, God, please stir us, continue to stir us as a church. Lord, pursue us. As a church body, pursue us as individuals through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray. You said, pray the Lord of the harvest and he'll send forth labor. So right now we pray to you, Lord of the harvest, send forth labors. You do that sending, Lord. Thank you that you've equipped us with a message that will change people's lives. And we have a power within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Bless Bruce. I pray that, Lord, it would be wonderful for your glory next Sunday to see precious unsaved people come to know Christ as our Savior. That's your heart. Help us, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're here today and you say,